those of you who are following our, uh, <clears throat> our daily scripture readings will know that last Thursday was Ascension Day, the day on which the church celebrates the ascension of our Lord. Uh, in the culture around us, this is a holiday that's right up there with Arbor Day, you know. Uh, it's easy to miss for a lot of reasons. For one thing, it always comes on a Thursday. Uh, another is that it's never been designated as a holiday in, in the United States, though it has been in some parts of Europe and Africa. Uh, and because Hallmark has never been able to market a greeting card for, for it. Also because it's a little bit bizarre. It's a little bit of a strange story. And yet it is the grand finale of the gospel story. It's the final scene in the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it's in that passage that Luke records that while they were watching, Jesus was lifted up. A cloud took him out of their sight, and they were standing there gazing into heaven. <clears throat> it's an amazing, amazing moment. And the focus of the story, of course, is on Jesus. This is the final witness of who Jesus really is. But um, for obvious reasons, I think, as I've been living into the story this year, uh, my attention has been drawn to those disciples who were standing there. Luke says, gazing up into heaven. Jesus was leaving them and they were the ones who were going to be left behind. Now, I hope you know me well enough to know that I have no illusion that I'm not all that much like Jesus. And I want you to know that I don't plan to leave Hyde Park in anything other than my Jeep Cherokee. Uh, and yet, and yet whatever it was that the disciples were feeling, experiencing in that moment, had to be something close to what we are experiencing together during these days. And as I've thought about that, as my mind often does, it goes back to hymns, songs, music that has nurtured me across the years. A song came to my mind that, that I learned when I was about the age of these kids as a, a member in the Methodist Youth Fellowship. Charles Wesley didn't write it, but here it is. They say that breaking up is hard to do. Now I know, I know that it's true. Don't say that this is the end. Instead of breaking up, I wish that we were making up again. I beg of you. All I can say is anybody that grew up on music like that has no right to be critical of popular music today. 
<laughs> I mean, as, as cheesy as Neil Sadaka was, of course he got it right. It's hard. It couldn't have been easy for these disciples. It's not easy for us. It's one of the hard things about life, these times of change and of transition. And, uh, and yet, when I lived on into the story and looked at what happened at the Ascension, Jesus shifted their attention away from the memory of what had been toward the promise of what would be. It's here that he says to the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. For followers of Jesus, the past is always the prologue of the future. The way forward is always forward. God always has more for us in the future than we have experienced in the past. That's why windshields are so much larger than rearview mirrors. It's a call to the future. And, and Paul, in this deeply autobiographical passage from the letter to the Philippians, is saying much of the same thing. Uh, let me share it with you again from this time from the J.B. Phillips paraphrase. I do not consider myself to have arrived spiritually, nor do I consider myself already perfect, but I keep going on, grasping ever more firmly that purpose for which Christ grasped me. I concentrate on this. I leave the past behind, and with hands outstretched to whatever lies ahead, I go straight for the goal. My reward, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I think that's what the poet Robert Browning was talking about when he said, a man's grasp should, a man, I'm sorry, a man's reach should exceed his grasp, or what's a heaven for? Our reach should exceed our grasp. What else is heaven for? <clears throat> Part of the way we live that spiritually is that folks in the Methodist tradition have always believed that salvation is not a one-time event in the past. <clears throat> Being saved is not something we get like a vaccination and then just sit around waiting to go to heaven. Uh, we believe that salvation is the ongoing process of God's grace that begins its work in our lives long before we ever make our first commitment to Christ, a work of grace by the power of God's Spirit that continues to be at work within us all the way to heaven. And in these weeks, we've been talking about the way John Wesley labeled that process Christian perfection. He was describing the way the Spirit of God is always at work to enable us to become more complete, 
more whole, more perfected in the love of God in Christ. <clears throat> and one song that Charles Wesley did write uh, catches this in a beautiful way when he said, Finish then thy new creation, pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee, changed from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. That's, that's the journey we're on. And our reach always exceeds our grasp. That's what heaven is for. Carol Zaleski, former Harvard professor, now at Smith, has spent her academic career studying end of life, uh, life after death sort of issues. And she once said, the proper function of our images of heaven is not to provide information, but orientation. I think she got it right. The purpose of all of those New Testament images of heaven, of the kingdom of God coming on earth as it's already fulfilled in heaven, all of those imaginative images of heaven, they are not given to us so that we have knowledge of the uh, chemical makeup of the pearly streets. They're not given so that we have an accurate timetable of the 21st century in which somehow our country always comes out on God's side. They are given as orientation, as the goal toward which we are continuously moving. They are the images of what this world will be like when God's saving purpose is fulfilled in our lives in the life of this whole creation. <clears throat> it's the direction, the goal toward which we are moving. And the vision of that life beyond death begins to shape the way we live right now. Because followers of Jesus have this vision of heaven out ahead of them, they are always experiencing a divine dissatisfaction with the way things are right now, always grasping for more of that saving purpose for which they were grasped by Christ. It's the way Paul says it. Now, there is, of course, a, uh, <clears throat> a deeply personal element to this. Disciples who are on the way to perfection always live with a divine dissatisfaction about where they are and how much farther they have to go. Always reaching farther, digging deeper, searching for more of God's love to be made real in their lives. And I can say, 42 years down the road now, that across the years in every church I've served, I have been both encouraged and challenged by uh, some of the older 
although they don't seem as old now as they used to, but some of the older faithful saints in those congregations, folks who in old age have new eyes, who are always looking toward the future, always asking new questions, always thinking new thoughts, always digging more deeply into what it means for them to be a disciple of Jesus. They, they bear witness to that long life of following Christ in a powerful way. One of the ways we uh, emphasized this idea several years ago, some of you will remember it, <clears throat> we, for most of a year, kept probing with the question, are you more like Jesus today than you were yesterday? Are you more loving, more gracious, more compassionate, more like Jesus today than you were a month ago or six months ago or a year ago? It, it was the reminder that we are constantly being called in the direction of the fullness of life that Jesus intends for every one of us. But it isn't just personal. Disciples of Jesus are also driven by a divine dissatisfaction with this world the way it is, with its pain and its suffering and its violence and its racism, and its bigotry, and its death. Followers of Jesus see the world exactly the way it is and are never quite satisfied and always are experiencing that kind of dissatisfaction that calls them to be a part of God's ongoing work of transformation in this world. It is not just our own hearts that are transformed. People with a transformed heart become a part of God's transformation of this world, participating with God in God's work around us. Uh, All of you, this is ancient history for the kids, uh, but you would know that Bobby Kennedy was not a Methodist. Uh, The family were strong Catholics. But, uh, but there's something about very Wesleyan, uh, something very much about this divine dissatisfaction in, I think, the most eloquent eulogy that I've heard in my lifetime when Ted Kennedy remembered his brother. Here it is. My brother need not be idealized or enlarged in death beyond what he was in life be remembered simply as a good and decent man who saw wrong and tried to right it, saw suffering and tried to heal it, saw war and tried to stop it. Those of us who loved him and who take him to his rest today pray that what he was to us and what he wished for others will someday come to pass for all the world. As he said many times in many parts of this nation, to those he touched and who sought to touch him, some men see things as they are and say why. 
I dream things that never were and say, why not? Uh, followers of Jesus who are on the way to perfection, they see this world exactly the way it is, but they also see what God intends for it to become and say, why not? Why not live into the vision of God's kingdom revealed in Jesus Christ? That's what it means to be on the way that leads us toward heaven. <clears throat> now, of course, uh, there is another side to this. In the letter to the Colossians, Paul names a missionary companion named Demas, who was traveling with him. Later, when he writes the second letter to Timothy, Paul says, Demas having fallen in love with this world, has deserted me. The truth is, we can always stop somewhere along the way. As a follower of Jesus, we always have the option of deciding the road is getting too hard, the, the struggle is too intense, I just think this is as far as I'm going to go, and I'm going to stop right here. We, we can be like Demas. Or, by the power of the Spirit of God at work within us, we, we can be like Paul, saying, I grasp ever more firmly that purpose for which Christ grasped me, running straight toward the goal of the heavenly call in Christ Jesus. My dad was 59, seems pretty young now, when, uh, when he died of cancer. My last visit with him in Pennsylvania, I took with me the, uh, the master plan and the initial drawings for uh, the first building of St. Luke's Church over in Orlando. Spread them out in the hospital table, walked all through the plans, when we were done, Dad said, well, I sure wish I could be around to see this thing built. He paused. Then he said, but I guess that's how it always is. I guess there's always something you'd like to live just a little longer to see. He was right. For a disciple of Jesus, our reach always exceeds our grasp. That's what heaven is for.